This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Kyle Starks, uh, creator of Sex Castle and writer for Rick and Morty, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 272. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 16th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, where this week I am ranting about the end of Brock Lesnar as we know it when Goldberg eats him on national TV at Survivor <laughs> Series this Sunday like a giant glistening turkey. Oh, also, it's Casey and I's anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah, she bought me some really nice presents. I got a you book, a podcast. A book on tasting whiskey and another book. It's right behind you. Uh, 100,000 Worlds by Bob Prohl. It's all it's supposed to be really, really good. I did not get her anything because I'm a terrible husband. And I thought we said no gifts. That's a trap. I know. How, you've been married for seven years. I know. I know. <laughs> And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, where I've been applauding the Hamilton cast for not booing Mike Pence. That was the audience. The Hamilton cast was totally classy about it. Oh. And, of course, you maybe can follow... If the, maybe if the Hamilton cast had any balls, they would have booed him. And no, they were like, hey, straight up, we have some problems, you're in this room, you're going to listen to us tell you about our problems. <laughs> uh, and the audience was not so kind. Hey... You can follow the show, though, at Two-Headed Nerd. We do a lot of tweeting. Yeah, we do. Well, not really. In this we, do, we do some tweeting. <laughs> In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Thanos number one and Ether number one. After that, Joe and I will be dealing with some Fantastic Beasts THN style while we review ten more of this week's comics during the Chris Speed round. Then, we pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're planning our Mystery Science Theater Turkey Day celebration menu and... Talking about some of next week's comments. And finally, we check in with the Orca to see if they really do eat seal fin pie for Thanksgiving in rural Maine. Gross. Yuck. And what comics you should be selling during his Take the Money and Run segment. But before we start stuffing this turkey of a show with dick and fart jokes, let's place our bets on the National Dog Show. I like the Corgi's odds at minus six, personally. I don't know nothing about dog shows. Or betting. Oh, we're better. <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Marvel has announced a trio of new titles spinning out of Daredevil, featuring prominent members of Daredevil supporting cast. The spinoff come as part of an arc titled "Running with the Devil." See how am I not supposed to put a Van Halen song in this? Come on, <laughs> I know. Which begins in Daredevil number seventeen. The three titles will be Kingpin. Written by Matthew Rosenberg, who writes uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank and many other fine titles. Oh, yeah. He's very good. Yeah. With art by Ben Torres. That's an ongoing Electra, written by Matt Owens, with art by Alec Morgan, also ongoing. And Bullseye, written by Ed Brisson, who we enjoy, with art by Guillermo Sana. Marvel Minister of Propaganda Axel Alonso said, quote, Fans are going to love what we have in store for our street-level superstars in 2017. <laughs> Is this what he sounds like? Uh, yeah, I think so. We're taking Daredevil and some of the characters in his orbit, sending them off in different directions for some brand new stories from rising stars in the comics industry. How long before they all collide? Knowing Matt Murdock, not long. There's some big things happening in this corner of the Marvel Universe and... Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Matt, I have not loved daredevil since wade and somni left charles souls daredevil just doesn't do it for me kind of lost me convince me why i should give a shit about a kingpin ongoing series I can't and we're going to talk more about villains in their own ongoing series soon here but i can't i'm not excited about this i'm not excited about charles souls daredevil and I do like Charles Soule. I think he's a good writer, but yeah. I think he's been bogged down in a lot of stuff that I just don't care about. Inhuman stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a second. Yeah. Is <laughs> Daredevil, none of this sounds particularly exciting for me, and it sounds like it's trying to bank off the popularity of the Daredevil Netflix show. Sure, of course, and, and, and I don't they'd need be silly the, not to, but... I don't need the comics moving closer to the Daredevil Netflix show either. I love them both for separate reasons. I... This this new wave of Marvel now or whatever we're calling it 
its big uh, mission statement seems to be giving every character we can think of their own title. Yeah. As seen with every character from Deadpool and the Mercs for Money getting their own book. Like, but those aren't ongoing. Those are just minis. Some of them are. Are they really? Yes. I thought they were all minis. No. Solo, I think, is an, was an, announced no. as an ongoing. Yeah. That is going to be canceled by issue three. I, they think it, I think it already has been canceled. Yeah. Uh, but Slapstick was a mini. Fool Killer, though, I think these are ongoing books. A Kingpin ongoing this book. This is like a return Why? to the mid 80s where they're just like, everyone gets a, you get a series, you get a series, you get a yeah. series. <laughs> I just don't need it. Dreamline down to the books that make sense that yeah. people actually care about. Yeah. Tell good stories. Don't flood the shelves. That's not doing anybody any good. No, especially not you. It just, last time you did it, your market share dropped big time and DC contracted and started winning the market share. So, we'll see. Up your butt. Marvel. I very much doubt that own. The kingpin always holds the trump card. After being pushed out of Marvel Studios Phase 3 plans, very quietly I might add, Inhumans is back on schedule for a September 2017 debut. Sort of. Instead of a feature film, Inhumans will now be a television series on ABC with its two-part series premiere debuting exclusively in IMAX theaters before a fall television debut. Hmm. This sounds like a debacle. The two-part premiere will be filmed using IMAX digital cameras and will be exclusive to IMAX theaters for a two-week window in September 2017. These episodes will then air on ABC in the fall with additional exclusive content. <laughs> Why the wouldn't they put the exclusive content in the IMAX things to get people to go to the IMAX oh, things? I mean, people flood to IMAX stuff all the time, you know? <laughs> Inhumans is currently projected for a slim eight episode season, which shows this is a huge gamble and we don't totally believe in it. While the Inhuman race has had a constant presence on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., ABC's Inhuman series will focus on Black Bolt and the royal family. Marvel describes this as a joint marketing and promotion plan that includes IMAX partially financing Inhumans, a first for the high definition theater company. The announcement of this joint venture was full of lots of exciting quotes about Disney, Marvel, and IMAX synergizing their damn paradigms, and absolutely nothing about creative content of the show. So, it's sure to excite all the high-powered executives in the audience, at the very least. Yeah. We have a lot of you guys that listen, too. Joey, yeah. I don't care about the Inhumans. Nope. You don't care about the Inhumans. Nope. I dare someone to call us right now and tell us they care about the Inhumans. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Inhumans! Uh yeah, to be perfectly fair, I will say this. It's not that I don't care about the Inhumans, but I definitely don't care about the Inhumans to the extent that Marvel wants me to care about the Inhumans. Yes, you're not going to make the Inhumans a new X-Men. You're not. It's not going to work. Do you know why? Because the Inhumans have like five compelling lead characters, right. while the X-Men have a dozen or more compelling lead characters. And I would argue- the Dozens, The even. reason you can relate to the X-Men is because they were losers, they were nerds, they were societal outcasts, like everybody that read comics, and they went, yeah, that's, you know, I feel like that. The Inhumans are aliens, okay? And giving them this ridiculous Terrigen mist thing that sweeps across the Earth, revealing that lots of other people are Inhumans too, no, it's not the same. It's on, not the same. On Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Inhumans are absolutely, definitely a stand-in for mutants yeah. because that's how they treat them, as, like, hated and feared. Right, without a doubt. And, and the government's trying to clamp down on them. Like, it's it's... It's so obvious that they really wanted to do X-Men yeah. stuff and can't. But it's not going to work and they can't do it and they need to stop trying. I just to go like the IMAX thing aside to say, yes, we're going to have a major phase three feature film, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars devoted to the Inhumans. Right. And then to, and then to just throw your hands up in the air and go, well, we've done some of this production work. I guess we better make a TV Somebody show out of it. Somebody behind the scenes has to be like, well, nobody, this isn't that cool. This just isn't that cool. And maybe it'll have some legs on TV. I don't know. Like, you think Vin Diesel's going to suit up as Black Bolt for a TV show? No. No way. If indeed Vin Diesel is playing Vin Black Bolt. Vin Diesel is not Bolt. my Black Bolt. Mark Strong is my Black Bolt. Ooh. He'd be great. That's a great choice. Right? I don't care. Like, when they said it was going to be a movie five years ago, I was like, oh, okay, sure. Inhumans are cool. But this constant insistence that Inhumans are the coolest thing Marvel's got going is just not working. Let me ask you a question and lay it on me, nerds. I want to hear from you guys, too. Are the Inhumans as a premise just too weird for popular culture? 
for mainstream popular culture? Is it just too weird? I mean, I don't think there's an, anything inherently I mean, like, like I would more argue, weird about them than anything else. No, but I mean, like in the sense that like a New Gods TV show just wouldn't work. It would flop. Uh, it would be yeah. bizarre. Yeah. You know, a, an Eternals TV show. Forever people. Yeah. <laughs> like that. These are things that we accept in comics that work very well there. But outside of comics, it gets kind of weird I like, and, doc, and they're even trying look, to doctor strange is the number one movie in america i get that so, doctor strange is just a sorcerer we've already had plenty of movies about you know magicians secret race of people tampered with by aliens their dna is all weird into humans it's I, not that hard i know i just i don't know if it works lay it on me tell me what tell me i'm wrong tell me what you guys think you can go to the lay it on me section of the two-headed nerd forums tell me what you think and there you go and if you are excited about Inhumans, if you guys, if you like legit love the Inhumans, lay that you, on us too. And you are really digging everything Marvel has done with the Inhumans and having multiple series and all this crap. Please explain it to us. Explain the draw because I, we just don't get it. It's certainly not showing in their sales. I can tell you that much. In a bit of welcome Hollywood news, FX has hired Michael Green as showrunner for the long suffering Why the Last Man live action series. The Hollywood Reporter states that Green, who is currently co-showrunner on Stars' American Gods, will write Why the Last Man's pilot script with the title's co-creator, Brian K. Vaughn. Hey, Brian Fuller, this guy can co-showrun Neil Gaiman's stupid TV show. You can't make Star Trek? (laughs) It's an argument for a different time, different day. Originally launched in 2002 at Vertigo, Why the Last Man by Vaughn and artist co-creator Pia Guerra has been optioned numerous times in the past for both TV and feature film. At one point, New Line had set director DJ Caruso with screenwriters David Goyer and Carl Ellsworth. Thank God that didn't happen. In September 2014, Vaughn revealed that he was in negotiations to obtain the rights back from New Line and Vertigo to develop it himself. I thought that was a done deal already. I did too. Matt, is the world finally ready for Why the Last Man to make the jump from page to screen? Previously, when we spoke about the Why the Last Man movie that was in development, we complained about the same problems that they're having with Sandman. You cannot abridge a story like this, even if you split it into three movies. It, it's and it's almost it's too much. It's it's too much. One, and I would argue it just wouldn't work as three movies. Why the Last Man is perfect to go to television, and if this does go to television and it beats the Sandman, I hope they look at it and go, "Oh, look at that! Maybe, right. maybe we should listen to these jerks." This. So far, sounds great, but like you said with Brian Fuller, we've gotten really excited about some of these TV projects, only to get news a few months later that makes us go, oh, come on. (laughs) How do you... I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't want to go back again, but like seriously, how do you go from Brian Fuller to Akiva Goldsmith? We're not doing that right now. That's just like... Money. It's like, here's how you do it. Cha-ching. Hey, I got you a pre- I got you a present. It was going to be this nice pie I baked to you. Instead, I'm going to kick you in the balls. <laughs> I think Why the Last Man is going to be perfect. I am curious to see how a younger generation deals with this story. Because when Why the Last Man came out, it was a different time for comics and comics fans. I mean, fans. early 2000s. Yeah, but it was still a very different time. That's more than 16 years ago. Some of the kids that have grown up now. It's were about 16 years ago. Babies. <laughs> I mean, I'm also cautiously optimistic. I agree that as a film, it was too big to work. Yeah. As a serialized show, I'm all about it. Yes. I just hope that they can resist the urge to tweak it so much that it becomes preacher preacher like <laughs> don't get me wrong i enjoyed the preacher show what i watched of it i didn't finish it but it's not preacher it's not it's preacher. just not preacher it's not preacher now with that said it's not as it's not as bad as lucifer which is just awful right just awful like why the last but man now brian k Vaughan is connected to this and he's also a guy that's worked in tv before right. like i am confident that the difference between that and preacher and lucifer is Garth Ennis has nothing to do with Preacher. Yeah, Mike Carey didn't really And Mike Carey has nothing to do with Lucifer, right. other than he probably got a check. Right. Unless it was work for higher stuff, in which case DC went... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they definitely weren't creator-owned because yeah. they were Sandman spinoffs, but... Um, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic, cautiously so, like you say. Right. And with any news like this these days, you have to... You have to really be on your guard. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and all the crap we missed, head over to the Two Headed Nerd forums in the big news section, where you can also tell us all about your supermodel garbage man fantasies. Why the last man reference? Mm. 
Sunday. The guy destined to be the last man on earth, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd safe space, the two-headed nerd forums. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from Crawdad Cody, who asks, quote, I think you got to say that differently. Crawdad Cody. Sorry, sorry. Crawdad Cody. <laughs> he asks, looking at Marvel's most recent solicits, I saw almost every title is stuck in tie-in hell. Yes, Civil War II has hurt us all in terrible ways. What's your stance on tie-ins? Do they work? Do you enjoy them? Do they make you want to rip your hair out? End quote. So let's clarify tie-ins. So a tie-in would Before be... Before we get to it, let's clarify that so everybody knows... Civil War II is going on right now, mm -hmm. and you're reading Iron Man, minding your own business, right. reading Invincible Iron Man or whatever. And something gets and farted into your storyline. you've got four issues in a row where they kind of backhandedly reference something happening with Thanos right. and War Machine. Right. Just take your two minutes and talk about how you feel about tie-ins. Okay. We don't have to be like... All right, we've clarified what tie-ins are. We want to hear what you think of them. Sometimes the tie-ins actually impact the narrative of the comics. Yeah. Sometimes the storyline goes on unimpeded. Right. But they stop for one panel and go, hey, did you hear about War Machine? Yeah. And then they brand it with Civil War II and call it good. Right. So, yeah, let's wrap about tie-ins. Well, how do you feel about them? I still can't believe they killed the black guy. Really? Look. Seriously. I can't believe they can get away with that. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Anymore. Come on. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Black Friday, November 25th to oh get us boy. your answer. You can call the Ziggurat Hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message there. And if you don't get trampled to death at Walmart trying to get that $5 TV, you can send an MP3 to nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, you've got two minutes to make your case. That's it. Two minutes. You will get cut off. It's happened to some of you. If you need more time than that, feel free to head to the THN forums, write your full answer. Just write a novel. Sure. It's NaNoWriMo. Absolutely. Go crazy. NaNoWriMo. National Novel Writing Month. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this something the kids are saying? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can tune in next Thursday to hear the following Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. Also, not available on iTunes at present. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it, guys. And I want to thank you, guys. You could have given us help, but you've given us so much more. It's review time in Ziggurat, where Joe and I rubbed two of this week's new comics with olive oil, salt, and pepper, and then baked them with some maple syrup and a little bit of marshmallow topping. Joe Patrick, serve these nerds a huge helping of your main review, will you? Oh, I will. This week I'm reviewing Ether number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kent, with art by David Rubin. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Boone Diaz is an interdimensional explorer, a scientist from Earth who has stumbled into great responsibility. He's got an explanation for everything, so of course the Ether's magical residents turn to him to solve their toughest crimes. But maybe keeping the real and the abstract separate is too big a job for just one man. The story begins with Boone being literally thrown into another world by Glum, the gatekeeper to the magical world of Ether. Is he thrown or does he get his uh, he ass gets like, kicked? He into gets like next punched day. into next I Tuesday. Think, I think he kicks him in the butt yeah, into, he, the, <laughs> into the Ether. Except Boone is a scientist, a man that believes in empirical facts. To him, quote unquote, magic is just another thing in the universe to be studied and explained. Matt Kent writes Boone constantly narrating everything he sees and does like some kind of Jacques Cousteau, except there's no one around recording his exploits. <laughs> Boone is a know-it-all jackass. Like, it's more like Sherlock Holmes if he was talking to a Watson that wasn't there. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Boone is a know-it-all jackass constantly pushing his scientific rhetoric on the inhabitants of this clearly magical kingdom. Though the story does deal with a murder investigation, Kent's script has a fun, lighthearted tone. It reminds me of all the great kids' movies from the 80s, like Never Ending Story, Dark Crystal, and Labyrinth. These were movies that were full of wonder and comedy, but they had an underlying darkness to them. Yeah. Last week, my wife, Michelle, I came home, and she was watching Never Ending Story. It was on HBO or something. And I sat down to watch it, and it got to that point in Never Ending Story 
where Atreyu meets uh, the wolf thing. Oh, yeah. That was scary, man. And like, even as an adult, yeah. I was so filled with filled with anxiety. <laughs> it was scary. And like, they showed that to us at a church lock-in when I was like six years old. Yeah, man. That's back when kids could handle that. Now yeah. they're a bunch of crybabies. Uh, and yeah, this is sort of in that s- a similar vein. Totally. David Rubin's art is beautifully surreal. Rubin's style reminds me a bit of Paul Pope, but with a cleaner inking style. It's not like, you know, ink blotches everywhere like Paul right. Pope likes to do. Right. This is, of course, no surprise. Rubin drew The Rise of Aurora West, a spinoff of Pope's Battling Boy graphic novel. He populates either with a diverse array of creature designs from Glum, the gatekeeper's hulking ape-like frame, to the tiny songbird with a mouthful of human teeth, <laughs> whose song drives you crazy. Yeah, and they have like a full ecorsia of the songbird yeah, right. in the back with labeled guts. It was great. <laughs> he had a reinforced intestine, so he doesn't crap himself. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and there's even a living bullet that Boom finds sleeping at the crime scene. Ruben also hand letters the sound effects, which adds another quirky visual element to the story. And when it shifts back to Earth, Ruben creates a darker, more tragic look for Boone's heartbreaking reality. It's a really gorgeous comic book. Yeah. I loved Ether number one. Boone's personal story and the mystery he's tasked to solve are both really compelling. And Ruben's visuals are like a Jim Henson movie brought to life on the comic page. Don't miss out on this. I'm giving it a huge buy. I'm with you. I'm not going to say anything you didn't just say. It was absolutely gorgeous. It reminded me of master artists like Jim Woodring at time. I did not know Matt Kent can do funny, but he can. Yeah, it's like we're really quirky. He's doing funny here and it totally works. This was just awesome. Huge buy for me, too. I loved it. Speaking of fun, lighthearted comedy comics, uh, let's talk about your book for the week. Earlier, during the big news, I was talking about bad guys in comics. Now, we're talking about Marvel's big bad, Thanos, number one. Written by Jeff Lemire, which I just realized we're doing like the Ben Affleck and Matt Damon <laughs> comics yeah, really right are. now. <laughs> oh, and we were also talking about uh, Marvel's insistence on giving ongoing titles to everyone, yes. regardless of whether or not they need one. <laughs> Written by Jeff Lemire with art by Mike Diodato, 32 pages, three ninety nine. Look, folks, writing a monthly villain book is tough. Just ask Secret Six writer Gail Simone or Cullen Bunn, who wrote the doomed but pretty good Magneto series. With the exception of Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader title, it is hard to sell a monthly villain book. And that comic book starred Darth Vader. Yeah. (laughs) So come on. Jeff Lemire takes a very Silver Age tone in his narration, channeling Stan Lee with lines like, From a distance, the Black Quadrant seems like any other small moon in the outer rim of space. But don't be fooled, for this place is not like any other. It's very, like... (laughs) 70s Jim yeah. Starlin soul painting. Yeah, Lemire yeah. is almost like a Greek chorus guiding the reader through the return of Thanos here. He's careful to mention recent events in the Marvel U to set up the story. He speaks briefly about the Secret War and the Civil War, but it's really only to illustrate Thanos' quest to reclaim his title as Marvel's premier psychotic, iron-fisted, cosmic despot. We get to see Thanos mowing through forces once loyal to him, and it is very cool. But there's just something about Mike Diodato's art. Thank you. That doesn't do it for me anymore. Thank you. And I don't, I'm looking at some of the panels and I'm like, look, yes, I admit that is beautiful. And that is a work of art. You have arranged elements on this page yes. to form a picture. Uh, maybe it's the crazy zipatone shading. I'll tell uses, you what it is. Or it's, it's his boxy panels that are surrounded by solid colors that look really good. But when you look at him, like, you know what? He didn't even draw the whole page. <laughs> you know, Mike Diodato in recent years. And I noticed this back when he was doing um, New Avengers, I guess it would have been. Right. He relies so heavily on digital. Yes. And that's effects. And I don't mean like lens flares and no, fire colors. All. I mean like the ships I mean like in the background are you absolutely have mechanically placed yes. the elements on this page instead of drawn them yes. on the page. And that is one way to go. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I have the same complaint about Ariel Olivetti and the backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, that it just looks wrong. Yes, it looks so two-dimensional that it looks like color forms almost. Yeah. And it's just not doing it for me anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Lay it on me. Mike Diodato. What do you guys think? Lay it on me. I'll put that in the forum like, too. He's, his figure drawing is great. It's like, beautiful. He obviously is drawing it's and he's beautiful. a very talented artist. But yeah, it's like a, there's a mechanical precision 
to everything that he does that's not a character. It takes a humanity out of it. And, and it, yeah, it does. It, it sucks the life right out of it. Everything. It's just so flat. Lemire reintroduces readers to Star Fox and Tom DeFalco's all but forgotten champion of the universe. I even had to look that dude up. I had no idea who. <laughs> that dude's from way back, man. <laughs> yeah. We also finally get a look at what Thanos' son's Thane has been doing. And for a solo book, I got to say, Lemire went out of his way to instantly build a cast around Thanos, and it really works. I think he realizes that you're not going to be able to sell uh, the Adventures of Thanos book. You have to develop the family aspect. You have to throw these other characters around him to keep it interesting. Well, right. Darth Vader had Dr. Aphra and right. the droids. You know, like, a villain book only works with a strong supporting cast. Yes, Absolutely. This new Thanos comic is equal parts Shakespearean tragedy and Marvel cosmic lunacy. And I can't say it disappointed. Yes, bad guys are very hard to write, but Lemire seems to be taking the right path with the Mad Titan. My only complaint is the art, but I can't say it's not good. It's just not for me. (laughs) So this is an instance where I'm giving this a buy it. This is an instance where you have to separate your personal taste from the recognition of its skill and quality because it is a very good comic book it is very good looking i just don't like this art style it turns me off yeah uh, i loved the story i i love i love thanos and you know what furthermore let me, let me say this before i forget the classic silver age feel that lemire brings to the book through the narration is in direct contrast with this new super slick mechanical i art. agree and it, it just you need to, I think they just needed to go all in. I think if you're going to do a Thanos book, go all in and get a weird artist to do it too. So it is a sort of throwback kind of fun looking book, but it's hard, hyper serious. Yeah. And spa- like, you know, uh, like Joe Casey's Godland, for example. Sure. Right. Perfect example. Right. Where it was silly and it was told in this 60s, 70s silver Bombastic. age. Yeah. And they got Tom Scioli on art, just sold it perfectly. Yeah. This feels like. Too much of one and too much of the other slapped together, basically. And, you know, that's why I'm giving it a skim it because you I want I'm giving it a skim it too. I'm doing it. You you convince me uh, or I convince myself. A buy it has to be a wholehearted recommendation, you didn't right? You convince me. For the record, I convince me. That's okay? fine. <laughs> a, a buy it has to a buy it has to be like this book clicked for me on all cylinders. Not. Yes. It was good, but. Right. Like this, this book, the story is good. I am a fan of this uh, writer. I like what he's doing with the story. The art is a very big stumbling block yeah, for me. It needs a different artist. And you might feel differently, which is why it's a skimmit. And like I said, lay it on me. Go to the forums. I've got to lay it on me about Mike Diodato up there. I want to hear defense. I want to hear attacks. Hit me. Keep it clean, though. Like, don't be personal. Not attacks. I mean, yeah. Criticisms. Criticisms and... Criticisms. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear personal attacks and Mike Diodato. <laughs> He's fat and he smells funny. He's ugly. You should see him eat. He eats like a pig. I should kill both of you idiots. So that is a double buy it for Ether and a double skim it for Thanos number one. Now it's time for you mad titans and empirical thinkers to let us know what we got wrong about these comics. So head over to the THN forums at thnforums.boards.net or you can just click the forums button at twoheadednerd.com and tell us what you thought of this. After seeing Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them This Weekend, Matt and I found Newt Scamander's irresponsibility shocking. What does it tell our children where you can just show up with a briefcase full of monsters and, oh, if you open it, they all escape? <laughs> well, listen, the authorities were none too happy. I can, this I can guy tell is you. an idiot. <laughs> so in response, we're speeding our new book to print, Fantastic Beasts and How to Kill Them. So it's off to the THN Armory to gear up before we go searching for Rowling's Pokemons and then blow them back to hell. Little bastards! While we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Uncanny X-Men Annual number one from Marvel. Colin Bunn brings not one, but two X-Peeps back in this first story that ends with a real head scratcher. It's more set up for the X-Men versus Inhumans that no one is excited for, but the second story featuring Domino was really cool and had fantastic art. All of this just seems like treading water, though, until the big X relaunch, and I'm sick of annuals being numbered one. Who's with me? It's stupid. It's wrong with just calling it the X-Men 2016 Annual. That's what it is. Where do you file this in the comic shop? Number one cell. Have you no decency, sir? Skim No. <laughs> That's a skim it. Moonshine, number two from Image. 
The legendary 100 Bullets creative team of Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo are together again for a Southern Fried Supernatural thriller set during Prohibition. Lou Perlow has come to the swamps of the Deep South on behalf of the mob to convince a moonshiner to ship his hooch north to the big city. Things go about as well as you'd expect. Have they never... <laughs> has he never seen any movie or read any story where somebody from the city comes to the South and claims something that's not theirs? Yeah. I'm, I'm loving this story so far, and Rizzo's art is as amazing as ever. Moonshine number two gets a buy it. Harbinger, Renegade, number one from Valiant. In the wake of the last Renegade story where Peter Stanchek, Faith, and the gang dumped the names of the world's suspected Psyots onto the net to foil Toyo Harada, they didn't expect how much danger they'd be putting these people in. So, it's time to put the gang back together. Derek Robertson's art here looks better than ever. That dude is like going through a creative renaissance. And Raffer Roberts is further fleshing out a Harbinger story that the X-Books wish they could tell. I am giving Harbinger Renegades a huge buy-in. Amazing Spider-Man, number 21, from Marvel. I moved heaven and earth to finally get all caught up on Spider-Man just to get a tie-in issue about Kane. Woo! It's fine and all, and I love Giuseppe Camoncoli's art, but this is steeped in not only the clone conspiracy, but also the Spider-Verse crossover from a couple of years ago. If you're invested in the current Spider-Man event, this is a worthy add-on. But if you're looking for a nice issue of Amazing Spidey to casually enjoy, this ain't it. Yeah. Skim it. I kind of like it because I like Kane. Well, sure. I like it just fine, but I'm yeah. caught up and I'm reading all the books. But, but that's it. Kane is really stupid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I loved him as a teenager. I like Kane for the same reason that I like Kane in the WWE. Because the character <laughs> is so dumb. <laughs> Yakuza, Demon Killers, number one from IDW. Bikers, gangsters, safe crackers, and monsters. This one has it all. And wow, is it good, weird fun. Writer Amit Chauhan, I can't say it, I'm not going to try. Sure. Sets up a caper story about a museum robbery that leads to a demon invasion of Tokyo. Who do you call to kill demons? The Yakuza, of course. Duh. Turns out they knew about all of this the whole time. Great art by Eli Powell, who's drawing some truly creepy monsters. Yakuza Demon Killers was funny, creepy, and it's got a great premise. I'm giving this a buy it. Grand Passion, number one from Dynamite. James Robinson and Tom Feister have gone to Dynamite with their pretty familiar feeling story about a star-crossed couple from opposite sides of the law. Feister's art is a little odd, but kind of interesting. And if you can handle James Robinson's trademarked dialogue cadence, and it's on full display, oh, yeah. you might find an interesting read here. For me, Grand Passion number one gets a skim it. I found it very boring. Uh, yeah, I mean... Leave it level boring. I, I did not finish it. <laughs> I, I mean, I did not find it boring. I got to, like, page eight and went... Done. <laughs> Batman number 11 from DC. Honked off about the state of the Suicide Squad? Pick up the latest Batman storyline, I Am Suicide, because it's awesome. Bats rounds up his own personal Suicide Squad to invade Santa Prisca to steal something from Bane. I'm sure it's part of the big reveal next month, but this storyline is already awesome. I am so glad David Finch is off of this book and Michael Jannon is on art because he is wonderful. Yeah. And Bane isn't even wearing his mask that I love so much here. This is Tom King doing the Suicide Squad better than anyone that's working on the Suicide Squad. Batman 11 gets a buy it. Slam! Number one from Boom. Writer Pamela Ribbon teams with artist Veronica Fish. Those are some interesting names. Yeah, right? And colorist Brittany Peer to bring us the story of two friends that were at a crossroads in their lives then bonded together through the magic of roller derby. Well, like like girls do. Yeah. The art is wonderful, and the story is very well told with all of the physical and emotional bruises that come from team sports. The roller derby scene, obviously, guys, it's not my thing. It's, it's like a car chase. Hard to do in comics. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. But these creators managed to make me care about what's going to happen to these girls next, and that earns Slam number one a buy it. Okay. Because... They infuse it with character, and it's more about that than it is the actual derbying. Right on. True Patriot presents number one from Chapter House. Yes. Listen to this lineup. Jay Torres, Jay Stevens, Fred Kennedy. Never R heard of him. Rob Armstrong. Never heard of him. And Jabone. I love Jabone. Yes. Jay, that's Jabone, for those of you not paying attention. Team up to show America they're not the only patriotic country out there. Apparently... This is the return of a Canadian superhero anthology that I've never heard of. 
but it was really great and much more lighthearted than the Captain Canuck stuff. One question, are all these creators Canadian? And if not, should we start a Twitter war to stop the co-opting of Canadian culture? Who better to protect Canada than American white educated kids? I'll look into it, but for now, True Patriot gets a buy it. <laughs> yes, they're all Canadian. <laughs> oh, f- that sucks. <laughs> Four color comic book history of comics number one from IDW. Fred Van Linty and Ryan Dunleavy break their acclaimed graphic novel down to monthly comic form in full color thanks to colorist Adam Guzowski, renamed because Fred Van Linty points out that the original title was ungoogleable, oh. which was comic book comics. <laughs> the fascinating past of the medium we love so much is presented in sequential form with hilarious visuals from Dunleavy. This is a must-read for anyone interested in the history of comics. The FCCBHOC gets a huge buy-it from me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I demand ungoogleable become the word of the year. It was actually it was voted on. It was post-truth is the word of the year. The post-truth. Which is great. a shot across Donald Trump's mouth. But yeah. ungoogleable. Ungoogleable. That's great. <laughs> That is your ludicrous speed round, and Queen is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Glum tossing a tip at a giant snail taxicab, as seen in the pages of Ether number one. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out everyone's favorite true patriot, Aaron Myers, and his ludicrous speed reviews. He's back this week. He's feeling much better. Good. Uh, his post-election depression is starting to slightly lessen. That's good. And remember, you can pick up these and all of the rest of this week's new comics through our new Amazon link at twoheadednerd.com. It's in the show notes for every episode that's in this form and the answer of the week. It's in both. Right on. It's a great way to get your funny books and support the show. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. This week, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are going over our MST3K Turkey Day menu. Joey, I picked up some beautiful heart-shaped herbs at the farmer's market. We've still got some golden apples in the freezer for the pie. Did you find that bacon pancake recipe? Yeah, yeah, I've got it right here. I just need to step out and pick up some powdered toast. Oh, this is going to be delicious. We put together our shopping list. Why don't we tell the nerds about our must-read picks for next week? Next week. Speaking of chow time. Yeah. I am excited for Chew number 60 from Image Comics, written by John Lehman with art by Rob Guillory. It's 48 pages for $5.99. Here's your solicit, such as it is. <laughs> Series finale! Last issue. Double-sized. Trifold cover. Epilogue. So that is period, period, not comma. Period, no, right. period, period, period. <laughs> So I was way, way, way behind on Chew, but I was able to get all caught up. Like, I've spent the last two weeks doing pretty much nothing but reading Chew and Amazing Spider-Man comics, and I'm all caught up, and I can't wait to see how it all ends. Last month's, or the last issue of Chew, sort of ended the storyline, so I'm ex- I'm interested to see what happens here in the grand finale, uh, as they say, the epilogue. It's going to be extra size. It's going to have a trifold cover. Come on. Chew is a great comic. It it's is. been a wonderful read. I am woefully behind. I got to sit down and read that whole series. I, yeah, I recommend I'm it. I'm just going to start over from the beginning. It's been too long. I highly recommend it. Matt, what's your pick for next week? I'm excited for the Superman annual number one. Again, with this number one crap from DC written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Jorge Jimenez. 48 pages for $4.99. Here is your solicit. Earth to Earth! Ashes to Ashes! Mr. Oz told Superman he was not what he thought. Now, Swamp Thing comes hunting for the Man of Steel to discover what strange connection this new Superman has to the planet. But their contact is something that neither is prepared for, leading Kal-El battling the Earth Elemental who wants to bury him. What a jerk, Swamp Thing. Hey, maybe Swamp Thing knows something Superman doesn't. Maybe. I think they're going to reveal something big about the nature of Superman. You think they're going to do that in Superman Annual number one? I do. (laughs) Okay. I do, because they've been building towards it. And something's going to happen in the Superman issues after this that they're not talking about. So I don't know. But I love the Swamp Thing. I love Peter J. Tomasi. He's been fantastic. The Superman title is so good. It's so great right now. I can't wait for this. And Jorge Jimenez drawing Swamp Thing in. They did a two-part uh, storyline in Superman a couple months ago. Well, they come out every other week. So I guess it would be about a month ago. Totally unexpected. 
two part tie in to Darwin Cook's The New Frontier. Oh, really? Where they went to dinosaur, where he went to Dinosaur Island Ugh. and and met the surviving member of the losers. I like, I was so stunned that they did it. <laughs> I w- it was so great. You know, it was like a farewell to Darwin. Yeah, yeah I know. Like, and you. it was like, we love you. Uh, it was so great. The THN trade of the week goes to the Sherlock Holmes omnibus trade paperback from Dynamite Entertainment written by, written and illustrated by Leah Moore, John Repian, Aaron Campbell, and various. We love their work. It's 400 pages for $34.99. That is ridiculous. Here's your solicit. Presenting three captivating mysteries of Arthur Conan Doyle's beloved sleuth, Sherlock Holmes in the first ever omnibus collecting his comic book adventures. From young Holmes's first encounter with Dr. John Watson to the detective's role reversal as a suspect for murder to a rash of Liverpool killings seemingly committed by a supernatural entity. The finest two done it's in the Dynamite Entertainment Library began. Blah 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 bloop. Collects the complete trial of Sherlock Holmes, Year One, and Liverpool Demon storylines. We love the Dynamite Sherlock Holmes comic. It's wonderful. It's one of the few licensed titles that they really, really nail. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, really and good stuff. Yeah, this is a nice, thick collection with three great, complete minis in it. 400 pages for 35 bucks. God damn. All right, enough of your Dynamite Comics shilling. We have got some cooking to do. While Joe and I put on our aprons and heat up the oven, why don't you nerds head over to our Facebook page and shoot us some links to some comics you think we should be reading next week. We want to hear from you guys. What are we missing? Just in time for Black Friday, the Orca is back to tell you how to scrounge up some extra Xmas scratch by selling some hot comics. I'm sure the snow is coming down, so this might be the last Take the Money and Run segment for the season. Yeah, he won't be able to make it to the podcast uh, outhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Take it away, buddy. Welcome to Take the Money and Run. I'm your host, the Orca. Typically, I tell you what comic books might be worth selling right now in order to fill them piggy banks of yours. And we'll do a bit of that at the end. It's been more than a year now since I've checked the email. So we got some catching up to do. Let me get my little sweetheart dick milker in here to help me fire up the AOL. One second. Tara, turn down that music and sashay that little ass of yours in here and boot this some bitch up for me. Yep, different girl on the orca's arm these days. Emma had to go film Beauty and the Beast or some damn thing for six whole months, so I dumped her ass. I picked up Tara and ABC Emmy after party before she got big. Only problem is she has to go dance on TV every Monday night right now. But she'll probably get cut soon, so I can live with that. Sure, I downsized a bit. But something about that little walk of hers. It's odd, but sexy. Which makes it creepy. Which then turns me on. So I'll ride that pint-sized ass till my little fascination runs its course. Ah. True love. She's just the right height to... What's that, hon? Never you mind who I'm talking to. You got that up and running yet? You've got mail. Okay, good. Now go make me a sandwich. Oh, that kippered mackerel from last night will be just fine. Okay, sorry. Let's see what we got for emails. ACFI Brooklyn writes, Dear Orca, do you ever buy comics to sell them? Tricky question, friend. I have, but rarely. If I'm down to the flea market looking for ice fishing gear, and I see a funnies that are hot on the eBay, I will occasionally do a quick flip thing. But you guys to be careful. As I've indicated in the past, these periods of a comic being hot are always getting shorter. If you pay $20 for a comic that's selling for $40, It could be $20 or less by the time your auction ends. If I buy one, then I come home and get distracted. Say if someone you heard yipping earlier has on some tiny lingerie. I mean that literally. Six hours later, I might not remember to list that book. I'll find it two weeks later in a stack of books and be like, F**k, there's $20 I pissed away. If I see a book selling for a dollar that's fetching $40 online, sure, I'll do that. 
$2 limit on buys, though. That's my rule. Like strip of tips, if they still have the bottoms on. Okay, next up. Timmy B writes, Hey, aren't you overdue for one of those follow-up episodes where you brag about all the money we could have made if we listened to you, you self-promoting pompous asshole? Ouch. But yes, we are overdue. Rapid fire. Incredible Hulk annual number two was $147.50. Now three just sold for $85 total, less than 30 bucks a piece. Outcast number one was $30 in June. Yesterday, a CGC 9.8 sold for $35? Wait, doesn't it cost just like 35 bucks to get one slabbed? Does that mean it's worth nothing? Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 64, first cloak and dagger, was $99, sold on November 16th for $45. That's less than half the price. Walking Dead number 100 second print with Negan on the cover was $102. Now it's selling for $41. Thor number 411 was selling for $50 just in September. Now $15.50. Finally, Wolverine 66 was $50 in April when we were all sure that Wolverine 3 was going to be Old Man Logan. Well, kinda, sorta, dumbasses. Now it's a $25 book. I should do a mic drop right here, but we'll move on. Okay. Little Drummer Meatball writes, Some of your commentary leads me to think that you might like boys. Do you? If so, would you like to go out for a drink sometime? No, I don't like boys. Men sometimes, if they're pretty, but not boys. Your second answer? Dream on. Okay, final email. Joey P. Bukaki at Hotmail.com writes, I am a cat person. I love cats. I don't mind the cat fur on my clothes or the devastating smell that makes visitors choke. But my oldest cat, Granny Goodness, needs a hysterectomy and an anal canal repair operation? Don't ask. What can I sell now to afford these expensive vet bills and get granny back on the active roster. <laughs> wow. Okay. Sell Shadow Man, Volume 4, from 2012, Number 5. It's the first new Dr. Mirage, which is going to be a new CW show. And there are none on eBay right now. Get it listed, and granny will be lapping peanut butter off God knows what in no time. Wonder Woman Adam Hughes covers. Predictable, after Catwoman heated up. Remember, focus on the booby covers. Scout number one from Eclipse. Way back in 1985. Coincidentally, the year I retired from the Chippendales and started collecting the Social Security. Think about that next time you see the deduction on your paycheck. You've been paying me for more than 30 years. <laughs> it's selling for $25. Take the money and run. Finally... Iron Man number 228. First comics appearance of our president-elect. Sell it before you f*** it all up Armageddon style. Or use it to line your kitty litter box. Till next time, kiss kiss nerds. Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for THN episode 272 our very special Turkey Day episode. If you like podcasts that are nearly impossible to find and subscribe to, you can subscribe to this show, hopefully on iTunes soon. You can't though, (laughs) but we're working on it. Or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up and your hearts. Right now, just get on the internet and scream that we exist. And please send people to twoheadednerd.com so they can discover the show. We're having some trouble. We are in the process of fixing it. We cannot thank our good friend Max Riffner for his eternal servitude. He's been great helping us through all of this. For real, though, we understand that there's some problems. Our numbers for downloads still seem to be pretty okay. So those of you that are already fans still seem to be finding it, which is good. But we know we can't find you. You can't find us on iTunes. You can't find us on Overcast or... We're hanging on by a thread here, folks. The the, the feed is missing some episodes or something. You can find us on Stitcher. We're still on Stitcher. You can go to 2 and download or stream every episode we've ever done. 
we are working towards a fix which might include some pretty drastic changes so please stay tuned and bear with us we promise we aren't abandoning you no abandoning you no joe patrick what are you thankful for this year Matt, this year I'm thankful for all of our donors. Oh. You guys keep our bellies full of roasted chocobo. Final Fantasy reference. There you go. And if you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to make that donation monthly, you can check the box that says, make this donation monthly. <laughs> when you donate. Nice job. <laughs> as little as a buck a month really does help us. It goes towards uh, hosting fees and... You know, all sorts of things that we need equipment. This uh, show takes up a lot of bandwidth. If you want to send us a sketch of what you think the two-headed nerd looks like, we love fan art, and you can send it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We will then take it, abuse it, manipulate it, put it on t-shirts, make a load of money off it, and you'll never see a cent. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for all of your support. We really appreciate it. And if you want to connect with us, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, And, of course, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. And while you're there, don't forget to answer the question of the week. Do it, suckers. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to a friend of the show, Christopher Sabella, who celebrated the 10th anniversary of getting fired from his last day job and becoming a freelance writer this past Wednesday. Word to you, Chris. Now back to work! Those comics aren't going to write themselves, you beautiful bastard. Until next time! True believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might talk to your boss and get you fired from your day job. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. We love you guys. Yeah.